Father God, I thank you that you prepare hearts and that you plow fields and that you plant deep. Father God, I just pray that uh, whatever it is that you would have me share today, because I'm still trying to figure it out, I just pray that it would be planted in the places that you've desired for it to be planted and sprouted, and then it would bring harvest in your way, in your time, and that you would help for us to understand your seasons. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so a couple of things I'll just point out. Some of you know me, some of you don't. Uh, I am somewhat of an emotional person. Um, I actually went through cancer last year, and I am a cancer survivor. I'm glad to be able to say that. Um, somehow one of the side effects is I now cry at the drop of a bucket. I don't, I don't know. I guess I carry a bucket because I need to hold my tears. I don't understand, but anyway. Uh, and it's kind of, I had throat cancer. And it's kind of destroyed my salivatory glands. And so I think somehow to compensate, my nose just goes, oh, I can moisten that. And um, so you'll, you'll forgive me. Oh, there's tissues behind me? Okay, yeah, there's tissues behind me too. So yeah, no. don't go anywhere without them anymore. Um, you know, Paul was a, a missionary, you know, an apostle, a missionary, blah, blah, blah. And that's what Patty and I are about to embark on. Uh, but he was also a tent maker, and so I haven't made tents. I've, I've worked under a lot of them, um, including the circus. Uh, I make my living as a stagehand, as a roadie. I uh, spent the last 12 years working in Nashville, um, worked with all the big names that I could bore you with, but I won't go through that list. Trust me, you know them all. Um, also, one of the things that's bizarre for me, you know, it says in Scripture that, that you know, man makes his way and God directs his steps. And sometimes he kind of pulls the rug out from under us to see, okay, you've got to really trust me now. Because I know what you thought you were going to do. But what I'm going to do is going to be such a thing that happens so that you know it's me and it's not you. And that's kind of where I feel like where I'm at. Um, we landed in Nashville in 2003. Is that right? Um, spent some time with many of you in, in other churches before that. Um, and some of you know, like, for example, one of the songs that we sang today is one that would have been pretty common for me to stand up and, and sing solo, and it kind of brought me back a little bit. Um, we would stand on a platform in Nashville and, and, and sing in, in this particular church, and I'd look over to my left, and there's Timothy Gaines from Striper playing bass, and Allison Krauss is leading worship, and I'm staring into the eyes of Michael McDonald going, what am I doing? This is insanity. Um, so for me to go through throat cancer as a Nashville session vocalist and to lose my voice and to be headed into a ministry where uh, we're going to be in Germany working with the heavy music scene and my in with that crowd has always been standing on a stage with a microphone in my hand. Um, you know, they, they talk about big pond, small pond. When I lived here as a, as a teenager and played in bands and things, I felt like I was on top of the world. Let me tell you, when you go to Nashville, you understand the difference between big pond, small pond. Um, the year that we left Nashville, uh, we have a local awards show, because you can imagine there's uh, quite a few scenes there. And I actually received uh, recognition from my peers as the best vocalist in my category in Nashville. 
So now to be able to say, well, hear me sing, blah, 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 I can now imitate the, you know, movie trailer guy. <laughs> or I can be Eeyore, thanks for noticing me. And that's, that's about all I can do anymore. My singing voice is gone. All that to say that, that um, God can bring life out of death. And I understand that because I almost died twice in the last six months with cancer. My uh, text, if I had a text, if I had notes, which I don't, um, I would probably call this part two, the saga continues. You didn't get part one, from me anyway. But, you know, that's kind of how people work. We break things into sections. We look at something in part, and you, it was funny, you kind of said it as you were walking off here, you know, about the calendar thing, about how God sees in entirety. And we just see these little pieces. We categorize things. And um, I would say this is like part two. The saga continues. And why do I say that? You know, we can look at, I'm a Star Wars junkie, and, and so we can look at that first movie and go, wow, that's great. And then there's part two. And man, sometimes part two is even better than part one. <laughs> but God looks at it and he goes, you don't realize you're not even starting at one. <laughs> See, there's this stuff that happened before and there's this stuff that happened after. But if we just live in a one particular moment, we can lose sight. And so my text would be part two, the saga continues. What I've been studying, actually, was um, the book of Ezekiel, chapter 32. And something you've got to know about Ezekiel, Ezekiel wasn't just a mere believer. He didn't just believe God. See, it's not enough to just have faith alone. You know, We have people who believe that ISIS exists in the world today. And in fact, I think it's pretty concretely evident that ISIS exists in the world today. But you know what? Um, I don't exactly subscribe to what they're doing, but I know that they're there, but I'm not one of them. Belief is not enough. Just because I believe they exist doesn't mean I'm going to go blow up something or somebody. Belief is not enough. The demons in hell believe and tremble in fear. And you know what? Ezekiel was more than a believer. He was active in his faith. And the life of missions work, Patty and I are really finding out, is about being active. It's about trying to hear God's voice desperately. And sometimes you take a step and it doesn't quite go as you expect. But you know what? You have to be that kind of person who's willing to say, I think this is God. And trust me, the more you do it, the more you learn to hear it. It's like telling the twin voices apart. Okay? But the more you do it, the more you get used to, okay, I'm pretty sure that's God. I would rather think I'm following God, step out in faith, and maybe get it wrong a little bit, and God will say, that's okay, there's grace for that, you poor little, you know, messy guy, you. As opposed to going, well, gee, I think that's God, but I'm not 100% sure, so I'm going to sit here and wait. <laughs> God, is that really you? Can you send me a sign? Can you send me another sign? No. You're going to miss the opportunities that God might have in front of you. That's right. And you know what? We're, we're trying to learn this lesson over and over again. But we keep encountering things that we don't expect. So Ezekiel, uh, and this is from Ezekiel 32, verses 1 through 10, it says that 
And, and what it doesn't say is this whole part about how he lived this active life of faith. Not just belief, but an active life of faith to get to this point. And God asks him a question. He, he takes him by the Spirit and leads him to a valley of dry bones. And he gets there and he shows it to him. Ezekiel looks around. You've got to understand as an Israelite, to see a valley of dry bones would be very disturbing because that's one of the things in that culture is you have to bury those who have passed. To see these slain who have fallen where they stood would be very disturbing to him. It would move him to a point where it would break his heart. Sometimes we need to do more than just see something. We need to pray and say, God, show me what it is that you see. But we need to take it a step further. We need to say, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. You know, God is love. His heart has got to be tremendous. And there's no way that we can have our hearts broken for what breaks his. It would destroy us. But we could say, God, just give us a little peace and break it. God loves broken things. But he doesn't desire that they would remain broken. And so he asks Ezekiel a question. And can you imagine standing there looking out at a valley of dry bones and God saying to you, Ezekiel, can these bones live? <laughs> oh, crap, that's a tough one. <laughs> so the God of the universe is asking me if these bones can live. Oh, boy. Um... Let's see, no, uh, let's see, I can't. Um, uh, Ezekiel knows who he's talking to. He knows the power that's there. He doesn't say no. But you can, I don't think it's an injustice to read into this that there's a bit of hesitation in his response. He doesn't say, yes, Lord, I can do this by your strength and by your power. What does he say? He says, God, only you know. Can we just be honest with him? Can we bear ourselves before him and say, Oh, God, you know, I can't do this. Oh, man, this is an impossible task to me. But I've seen you do this time and again, Lord, and if that's what you want to do, I know you've got a plan, and I'm just crazy enough to follow it. Let's see what happens. And that's what he did. And God says, Okay, good boy. Come on, let's take the next step. What's the next step? The next step, God says, is preach to the dry bones. Again, you go from kind of out there to just downright crazy as far as the world's mentality is concerned. I mean, if God tells you to go preach to dry bones, I mean, if God told you today to go out into a cemetery and speak to the dead, well, that's a little nuts. But you know what? He did it. And he said that when you do, he said the bones will come together and they will be covered with muscle and sinew and then they will be covered in flesh and it will come to life and you will speak the living word of God and that life will be breathed into them and they will come to life. And he believed it. But again, it takes more than just belief. 
if he had believed it and said, wow, that's awesome, God. Oh, yes, you can do anything. And he never opened his mouth. Guess what? There'd still be a valley of dry bones. But Ezekiel opened his mouth. And he began to preach to the dry bones as God had instructed him to do. And it says that he could hear the bones rattling and coming together. Can you imagine that? Just picture that for a minute. Just be, you'd be speaking and just kind of like, there's a part of you that's speaking and there's a part of you that's standing back going, look at that. Do you see that? Whoa. It'd blow your mind. And then to see the muscle and the tissue start to form. But you know what it says next? It says these bodies came together, but there was no life in them. There's a pause. There is a part two. Patty and I started our missionary journey probably officially three years ago. I actually grew up in a Christian Missionary Alliance church. I mean, missions work was not foreign to me, you know. I can remember watching slide after slide after slide after slide. (laughs) Wonderful people from Papua New Guinea and listening to them tell their stories about how they'd never touched alcohol in their life, and they show up in this um, remote region, and the tribe offers them fermented bear's milk. (laughs) And they won't touch alcohol, and they're put in this quandary. God, what do we do? What do we do? You know what? If they had rejected that, they would never have made inroads with these people. Let me just ask you, what kind of an investment do you think they were making? I don't know how you make fermented bear's milk. Um, Look, we're going to Germany. I understand fermented beverages at this point. Trust me. You have to have an understanding of that. Um, Bear's milk seems like kind of a dangerous thing to obtain. Um, Hey, you can't make this stuff up, you know. Um, But that's what they had. And in consuming that, they were able to come into this community. You have to be all things to all people. You have to get out of your comfort zone. You have to speak to dead bones. I mean, how many people can put that on their resume that, oh, yeah, I'm used to doing things like this. It's, it's not normal. Missions work. Well, guess what, hon? We're not normal. <laughs> um, I was also listening to a, a, a former pastor of ours this past week, and he had shared a story uh, that came out of Israel. And there was, I hope I get this right, the gist of it is this came out of National Geographic. They were doing an archaeological dig, and they found this clay jar, a 2,000-year-old clay jar, and in it were seeds, 2,000-year-old seeds. And they took them out and they categorized them and they said, well, we're not exactly sure, some, sign, some kind of palm something. Okay, great. And they sat in the researcher's desk for a couple of years. And this one guy got a hold of him and he said, hmm, I wonder. And he put the seed in a little thing of dirt in the laboratory and guess what? That seed sprouted. Three years in, they were able to identify it. 
It was a male um, palm, date palm, that had been extinct for almost 1,500 years. They named it Methuselah. <laughs> you can look it up. Again, you can't make this stuff up. Now, Methuselah grew for about three years and got to be, you know, a foot or two tall. But then part two. They said, hmm, there's no fruit. You know, sometimes you can do all this work. You can plan. You can plant and fertilize and watch something grow. But you hit a pause. I hit a pause with cancer, I've got to tell you. You know, Ezekiel hit a pause when there's this field of dead bodies now in front of them, no longer dry bones. What happens if you were to just go, man, I guess that's it. I screwed up. Oh, well. And just turn your head and walk away. You miss the real blessing. You miss the real opportunity. After a few years, these researchers decided, well, what else is in that jar? They found a couple of other similar seeds, and Methuselah was a male date palm. They planted a couple more seeds, and guess what? They got a female date palm. Do you know that they're now reaping a harvest of dates from a plant that was previously extinct for 1,500 years? There's life in those seeds, and they can lay dormant. They can lay dormant in your life. They can lay dormant in your ministry. They can lay dormant in your community, in your country. People ask us, why in the crap are you going to Germany? <laughs> Don't you need to go to Africa or someplace like that, you know? You know, there's more Christians in Africa now than there are in all of Europe. Did you know that? Did you know that the country of Nigeria has more Protestants than Germany? the birthplace of the Protestant Reformation. Germany considers itself to be a Christian nation. <laughs> it has less than 2% Bible-believing evangelical Christians. That means you could get in the train with 100 people and the odds of you encountering one real Christian is less than 2%. When we were doing some training in Colorado, I was like this. Um, we had been there for a few days, and we were in a classroom setting. And they uh, sent us on break. When we came back, they said, how do you like our big decor change? And we went, what decor change? And they said, hang on a minute. And they turned off the lights. That's when you could see the candle in the corner. You see, in America, this land of blessing, there's a lot of light shining. Europe has gone dark. The land of Martin Luther, the place where the first Bible was printed. The Anabaptists, Bonhoeffer, the valley, the valley of dry bones. 
See, God has to show you something. Then he has to break your heart so that you'll be motivated. That's what happened with us. I was listening to a lot of music. Surprise, surprise, muso guy. Um, The music that I listen to isn't typical church music. It tends to be very loud, very abrasive. And all through the 80s, my childhood, they always said, that's the devil's music. And the devil's over there in the corner going, yeah, give me my records back. And I'm just, I thought you couldn't understand the words. Come on, people. Um, <laughs> that's a joke, obviously. <laughs> there was a, a song by a band called Deliverance called It's the Beat. And they always said, it's the beat that's satanic. They say, ha, 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 ha. Study the first eight chapters of Romans. And if you do that, you realize it's music is not the devil. Anyway, side note. Uh, Yeah. So God is sending us to a place where he's broken our hearts. I was listening to a lot of this music, and the majority of it was coming from Germany. And Patty started listening to it, and she started listening to the lyrics because you can understand the words. It's actually sung. <laughs> it's not that Cookie Monster raw, raw, raw stuff. Which, come to think of it, now I could probably do. <laughs> Dang it! Oh, I hate that stuff. And now, uh, anyway, crap. Um, so Patty's listening to it, and this one band in particular, she's really listening to lyrics, and the lyrics that that this guy is singing about, he's singing about basically the Renaissance times and this notion of religion and how it has failed them and how they wanted it to work, but it didn't. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt, don't wear the t-shirt. And that's what God's calling us to, to a valley of dry bones wearing (laughs) t-shirts. of places they've been that they don't want to think about any longer. You see, that's the difference between what real Christianity is and religion. Religion's just death. It's just repetition. And that's all they've seen. And that's what they equate with when they think of Christianity. Um, Contrast that with a place like Africa, because we've been in Africa. We spent a month in Africa, just before dealing with cancer last fall. It's an incredible place. God is on the move there, very strong. Patty was in a a place called a Shabin, which is basically a makeshift bar. You know, it would be like the African equivalent of a speakeasy, you know, from Prohibition days. It's not legal, there's no paperwork, but that's where everybody goes and hangs out and has way too much to drink. And we were out ministering in in these townships, these very poor places. America thinks they have poor. We don't even come close to understanding poor. Sorry. Again, it breaks my heart. But she walked into the Shabin with a team, and she was just walking through. We had been there for a couple of days. And so I think word was getting around. There's these Christian people. You'll see like black people, white people, and these little dudes from Nepal walking around together. And trust me, in in these townships in South Africa, that's weird. That's really weird. 
So I think word was getting out that the Christians are coming, the Christians are coming. And they have goodies. Ooh, hey. <laughs> and so they were open. They happened to pass through this shabine. And people walked up to them. They said, I want what you have. I want what you have. And Patty's going, I don't have vodka. <laughs> have Jesus. Um, do you understand what that means? I want whatever it is you have. I want it. You know, that's our testimony. I was, uh, I was a teenager once. <laughs> and I was dating this girl. And, uh, yeah, I was a heavy metal guy. So was she. And uh, she said to me one day after we were dating for a couple months, she says, there's something different about you. What is it? My mother had always told me, and I'm sorry, this is not my mother's voice, and gosh, with this, I probably can't even do the voice, but you know the church lady from Saturday Night Live? Someday, someone's going to ask you, what is it that makes you different? And you're going to tell them it's Jesus. <laughs> like from the time I was six or seven, my mother would say this. My mother, God love her, and some of you know her. They don't even believe in that the Lord moves prophetically any longer. And yet here she is speaking this prophetic word. She doesn't even understand. And 20 years later, no, not 20 years later. Gosh, I'm speeding up too much. 10 years later, there's this beautiful girl staring me in the eye. And I'm kind of starstruck. And she says, there's something about, <clears throat> there's something about you that makes you different. What is it? And I was scared out of my mind. Can these bones live? Speak to these bones. I said, well, I'm a good guy. I tried to cheat it. She says, that's not it. What is it that makes you different? I said, I go to church on Sundays. So I know that. I know a lot of people who go to church on Sundays. That's not it. What is it that makes you different? And I said to her, I said, it's the living work of Christ in my life, and I actively do my best, and I don't always get it right, but I try to follow his leading and do what it is that he tells me, and I have a real relationship with him. And she says, somehow I knew that was going to be your answer. And that woman is sitting right there. She became my wife. I don't recommend missionary dating. <laughs> you know, it says in Scripture um, that we should have a good answer for those who will ask about the hope that we have within us. And a lot of people focus on having that great answer. And I don't want to discount that. I think you have to have a great answer. But we've kind of flipped it around and we've said, live a questionable life. Because if they never ask the question, what good is your answer? 
You know, the best time to talk to somebody is when they want to hear what you have to say. Not, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. Oh, sorry. Okay, you're on the... Okay. Hey, can I talk to you about... No. Okay, great. You're going to work. Much better when they say, what is it that makes you different? You know, like I said, I'm a stagehand, a roadie. That we call ourselves pirates because of the lifestyle. And, you know, okay, I've never touched cocaine, but uh, let me just say a lot of uh, people that I work with, you need that kind of edge to let you even do the job for crying out loud they need chemical assistance it's nuts but I don't do that stuff and uh, I I am a little salty at times I'll be honest when in Rome do as the Romans do and be all things to all people within reason people (laughs) but I can't tell you how many times I'm backstage at a kiss concert or Molly Crew or whatever it is that I'm building and be sitting there on a road case waiting for the show to go down and some big tattooed nightmare of a guy for some people. To me, I'm just like, hey, brother. They sit down and they say, there's something about you different. And they don't always say, what is it that makes you different? But if it's not that, it's, I don't know why, but I feel like I can talk to you. And then they just, bleh. And they start unloading their life on me. Their death on revealing that there's a valley of dry bones. Germany's falling apart. God brought us there and allowed us to go last year. And uh, the things that we thought we were going to see, we didn't. We were told there were no homeless people in Germany. There are. We worked with the homeless quite extensively in our lives, especially in Nashville. We would prepare 4,700 meals a month in Nashville through different charitable organizations we worked with um, and feeding people under a bridge, taking a meal to their house. Seeing the homeless guy seeking shelter in the vestibule of the church in Germany with the door closed is an eye opener. It doesn't make sense on paper what we're about to do. We still don't have all the finances, but you know what? We didn't have the finances to go get our initial training in Colorado. But we got enough for airline tickets. And we stepped out in faith. And we booked a flight. And by the time the classes came around, guess what? The money came through. They told us that we needed to go on a vision trip to Germany. And I said in my very practical ways, that's nice. I'm a committed person. If I say I'm going, I'm going. And it doesn't matter if it's a nightmare. I'm still going. And they said, no, you need to see the country you're going to. And I said, but that's expensive. And they said, yeah, we know. We got enough money for plane tickets. And we booked the flight. And then we prayed and told our stories and Guess what? Enough came through and we made the trip. When we came back, a couple of dear friends of ours who were supporting us, in fact, three or four different people who weren't talking to each other, said, do you really feel like you're with the right missions agency? And it's weird when it comes to you that way. And you go, okay, God, (laughs) what are you doing? Because sometimes there's a part two. And so we went through and 
changed missions agencies. And you know what? It was the week that we changed agencies. I got up one morning and I looked in the mirror and there was an egg-sized mass on the side of my neck. It popped out like that. And it took a little while before they determined that it was cancer. I had cancer in uh, my tonsils, the base of my tongue, a mass in my neck. And with that knowledge, we still decided to go ahead with our missions plans. We were broke. We just came back from Germany. And in making this change, we were told we needed to go to more training (laughs) in Cape Town, South Africa (laughs) for a month. And so we prayed and we shared our stories. And guess what? We got enough money for plane tickets. (laughs) We booked the flight. And this time we decided to take our 14-year-old with us. God did incredible things. I personally led about 36 people to Christ in the course of about three weeks. Um, The stories that I could tell, and please ask us for some stories afterwards. Amazing stories. When Patty was in the Shabin, I talked about they came up and said, we want what you have. What I didn't say was they kept coming and 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 coming to the point where they couldn't talk to everybody. There was what? How many were with you in that group? Like five or six? We split up and went throughout the townships. And she said, the fields are ripe under harvest. The harvest is plenty. The workers are few. And she experienced that firsthand. There's not a lot of workers in Germany right now, trust me. But it's a valley of dry bones. It's a few hundred-year-old jar of seeds that have gone extinct. We're going to do some planting. We came back. I dealt with cancer. I almost died twice. Twice the doctors looked at me and said, your organs are shutting down. You should probably get your affairs in order. People ask what that's like. I know some of you in this room understand what that's like. You know, when the scriptures talk about the purifying fire, you know, it says that the heat gets turned up and that's when the impurities come to the surface. But this is a process, people. This is not a one-time occurrence. You keep this purification fire going until you wind up with the purest gold. I've been on fire for a long time. But you know, you you never really know what's in you until that heat gets turned up. That was some of the most intense fire that I've been through. I always say you don't know how you'd respond until you're there. Oh, I'd like to think that if I was in war or if I faced a terrorist that I would blah, blah. You don't have a clue. You really don't. I'd like to think if I'm on my desk, shut your mouth. You don't know until you're there. I didn't know. I thank God for the work that he's been doing in our lives. That as I'm laying there on a deathbed, that I was still able to share Christ. I was still able to hold on to my faith. I scratch my head at these people who go, you're an inspiration. And I go, all I did was not die. I don't, okay, great. Rah, rah, go team. But these are stories that I can take with us to a dying world. 
These are stories that I can take to us, to people who are of valley, of dry bones. And I can speak that life to them. And Patty can speak that life to them. And i got to tell you, my 14-year-old son, <laughs> coming back to the parking lot where we kind of broke up in teams in South Africa, having Joseph, this little pastor from Malawi, going, Mr. A, Mr. A, I got to talk to you. Your son, he's amazing. And I, what are you talking about, Joseph? He preached in the gospel in the fields. He talked, he brought people to, and I'm like, my 14-year-old birth son, are you kidding me? Yes. My son Reagan is going to lead people to Christ in Hamburg, Germany. Praise God. Ezekiel, listen for the voice of God. We don't know how long it was between the time that the skin and everything came on these bones and how long it was until God said, now preach to the wind. You know, what he tells you at first isn't always what you're going to wind up doing in the end. This Methuselah plant was just a date palm with no fruit for quite some time until they got another instruction and they planted a few more and got, hey, a female plant. Oh, cross-pollination. Wow, these dates are good. This fruit is sweet. This fruit was well worth it. Can I tell you, planting a 2,000-year-old seed is probably expensive. I mean, how many of them do you have? You've got to get it right. But the fruit is worth it. There's a place on the other side of the ocean that needs us. We have people in the region that have been telling us this for quite some time. A lot of our support has been coming from overseas. We work with a large community of metalheads. I know it sounds weird, but it's out there, trust me. And they say, Ray and Patty, we know you. We've watched you for years. Some of us have met them. They come here, and we've spent time with them. They say, we need you in Germany. Germany is a valley of dry bones. Will you please come? Not everybody's called to do missions work overseas. But you're called to work in your community. You're called to work in your family. Don't miss that calling. You can reach somebody that I can't touch. Where we're going, it's a little bit different. Um, I'll just close with this. There was a, a saying that came to us from other missionaries. You know, they try to give you things to equate what missions life is like. The relationship between the missionary and the church, they said, is like this. If there is a big nasty jungle and there's a pit, a very deep, very dangerous pit with captives in it, the missionary says to the church, I've got this rope. If you hold the rope We'll go down into the pit. Not everybody's called to go down into the pit. It's a messy job. But if there's nobody holding that rope, we can't do it. Um, Patty and I have a pocket full of cards. Make sure you get one from us so that you know where the rope is. So that you know how best to hold the rope. 
things like that. We'd appreciate it. I don't know exactly what's to come. Honestly, I'm waiting for part two. Would you pray with me? God, you're so good. We thank you that you're the God of second chances. We thank you that you're the God of part two. We thank you that you allow us to see part two as something real in our, in, in our finite minds. And yet, God, you look at the whole thing. You know where we're going. You understand the end game. Father, whereas if you were to show it to us, we'd probably get scared. Thank you for meeting us where we are. Father, I pray for each one here that you would open our eyes so that we could see a glimpse of what you need for us to see. And Father, we take our hearts and we hold them out before you. And we say, God, would you break this? Would you break this for what breaks your heart? And Father, with that sacrificial offering, we ask that you would in turn give us motivation so that we wouldn't be those who just merely hear and believe, who look in a mirror and walk away and forget what we looked like, but that we would be doers of your word. Father, that's where the blessed life is in blessing others and in hearing and obeying you and in doing so, just being so honored to be able to serve you. Why you would use somebody like me to serve you is just, I don't get it, but you do. Thank you, Lord. We can all thank you in our own ways because you use each of us as we allow you to. Father, I pray that you would bless this church. Allow them to continue to build bridges into their community, into the families, Lord. That your word would be made known amongst all the different people that can be touched from each one here. And I thank you in Jesus' name.